Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another week of the United States Sports Show Lacrosse Edition. Uh, my name is Joe Marcellina, and joining me again is Derry Field AD and boys lacrosse coach Chris Hetler. Chris, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, Joe. Transitioning to uh, summer, and uh, you know, get, getting right into right right back on the hamster wheel here. We got <laughs> we got summer lacrosse already starting All up. Right. So, um, no. It, no rest, yeah, no rest yep, for the weary. Yep. Right back at it. <laughs> Uh, and we are we are back to our uh, our regular Thursday schedule for the final uh, three shows of the spring. So this week we'll be wrapping up uh, all six championship games. Next week we're going to wrap up the 2021 season as a whole uh, and maybe talk about some of the seniors who are moving on to play in college. And then our final week uh, we'll take a look at 2022 and uh, and just kind of go over over anything else uh, we didn't get to. Kind of use it as like a uh, uh, just a day to kind of, you know, any anything we missed. Yeah, so if you've got anything that you think we missed throughout the year or uh, any any other stuff you'd like us to mention, as always, you can email us at nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at nhhsports. And, of course, I would like to remind everyone that the Ninth State Sports Show is proudly sponsored by Roger Howe of the Bean Group. Are you thinking of selling your home? Now may be the time. Just like the weather, the market is hot and interest rates remain at all-time lows. It's time to call Roger Howe, a licensed professional realtor with The Bean Group. Not sure what your home is worth? Roger will provide a market analysis for you at no charge. With 12 years of experience in residential, commercial, leasing, and investment properties, Roger knows your local market. Contact Roger Howe of The Bean Group at 800-450-7784 or 603-247-1583 or email him at roger at rhowrealestate.com. Not um, only that, not only that, but he does a pretty good analysis of uh, for games this spring, absolutely, too. Absolutely, yeah, he does. Wow. Uh, he's a multi-talented guy there. <laughs> good to have good to have Roger back in the lacrosse yeah, scene. Absolutely, good. yeah. Was, uh, yeah, oh. was, I, when I, I did see him, uh, when I saw him early in the spring, it was a nice surprise. Him and, uh, and his son, um, Matt, back there on the Bedford sidelines. Um, great to see him, too. Yep, Matt's active in the coaching circle again. He's helping. I think he had. Did he, I'm trying to remember if he had the JV and the freshman team, but he was he was coaching a lot over at Bedford. He had a lot of kids under his wing, and uh, you know it's great great when alumni come home and take care of their program. So yeah, just one of the see Matt back at it. Another one of those things though that just reminds you of how old you are. You know, I, I tell me about it, and that's <laughs> that's before his dad sent me a picture of of him as like a six-year-old being taught goalie skills by me at one of the wow. first camps we did wow. so that's yeah right. so you time, got... time is flying by all right i was just gonna say i remember you know having covered him you know when he was when when bedford had that run uh in d2 of uh what was it three years in a row the record uh winning streak and all that but yeah you got me you got me beat there <laughs> yeah all right so, so... So this week, like like we said, we wanted to uh, wrap up uh, all of the championship action that we had from uh, from last week, uh, and um, you know with with, uh, with the girls' games um, last Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, we figured how about we start there and uh, let's let's just jump right into to that Division One final. Um, yeah, I mean, incredible performance by Bishop Gurdon. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they tied for the most goals scored and was it the is it the new state record for largest margin of victory largest, i think i have that largest right. margin of victories um 17 goals they they beat pinkerton 20 to 3 in the final last tuesday it, it was tied for the second most uh goals scored in a championship game 
Um, they the twenty goals that they scored matched uh, the twenty goals scored that Nashua actually scored in. I want to say it was ninety nine. Um, hold on a second here. Yeah, Nashua uh, beat Concord twenty to eight in uh, nineteen ninety nine. That was the second ever uh, girls championship handed out by the NHIA. Uh, the record is actually 21 that was set by Wyndham um, in 2013. They won the D3 final that year, 21 to 12 over Lebanon. So, wow. it, and it's so it's only the third time uh, that a team has scored 20 goals in a championship game uh, in New Hampshire. Um, and and uh, to be honest, I I, I thought it could have been more. Um, you know, if, if I think what was Pinkerton up, or excuse me, what was Bishop Girton was up. Uh, 11-3 at halftime, and there were a couple of times where uh, Pinkerton goalie uh, Lauren Sweeney, um, I thought, had some incredible saves where it could have been, you know, you could have been like 15-3 at halftime if not for those. Um, it's hard to hard to believe that I think, you know, BG may have even left a couple on the table there. I, I'm just amazed at, like, the number of options they had to score. I mean, Holt, Keating, Kutu, uh, Campbell, Bouvier, I mean, the, the list just goes on and on. Yeah. I mean, how do you how do you game plan? And, you know, I, I I give teams credit that that stayed as close as they did with them this season. You know, it's like if you try and take one or two of those girls away, you know, they've, they've just got they're so deep. And, you know, the draw controls and and, you know, they just they don't have any weaknesses. Yeah. It was a really, really, really complete team. They uh, so you, you say that and they that so the game um, Pinkerton got the first goal in the first minute. Uh, led one nothing, and BG had a 7-0 run uh, to counter that. And on that run, uh, seven different players scored. So I mean, that's just—I mean, that—that that says it to me right there. Just just how deep they were, and how many, you know, options they had. Where you can sit here and say, I, I mean, how do you look at that and 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 say we're going to shut this person down, and we're going to shut that person down, and let any someone else beat us? Because too many athletes, yeah. too many athletes on the field. Yeah, too you many know, options. Too many athletes. Um, and it's just, and then it doesn't, it doesn't hurt when you have McKenna Riki and, and that either. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, that, that, that Bishop Girton was so solid, um, you know, defensively too, you, you know, and you mentioned, you mentioned no weaknesses. Um, I think maybe the one spot where they might've, they were vulnerable, um, was on the draw. You saw it in the, I think in the semifinal with Bedford, um, you know, Bedford was able to win some of the draws by keeping the ball low and getting it on the ground and, and scooping up ground balls and then just, you know, taking advantage of opportunities. Uh, but, you know, with that happening in the semifinal, you know, it kind of, it, you know, now it's on, on, you know, Bishop Girton's radar. They're going to take gave him the blueprint. Yeah. Yep. yeah it's going to, they're yep. going to, they weren't going to let that beat them um, in the final. And, and I, I mean, you know, it, congrats to Pinkerton, um, you know, finishing as the runner up. That's nothing, to you know, to to sneeze at, but I think anybody that would have been in this final um, would have had a tough time pulling off an upset in this game. Um, it was just I, you know, you look at the team from top to bottom. I think going into the year, and we kind of had a feeling that this was might be the outcome uh, once we got to to mid June. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk when we get to the boys' side. We'll talk as well. It kind of felt that way on the boys' side too. Although the Division One game on the boys' side was was much much closer, a very entertaining game. Um, but yeah, you felt like this team was kind of a team of destiny, you know, that they, they had been assembled and put together and, and, you know, there was just so much talent there. It was going to hard, it was going to be hard for anyone to deny them the championship there. But, uh, you know, before we move on to, to D2, 
you know, who, who were some of the girls for Pink? I mean, 16 and five, still a really, you know, making it to the championship game, still a really strong season. Who were some of the girls for, for Pinkerton that really stood out to you this year? I mean, all year, um, you know, Abby Jowett was a girl who just, you know, was probably the most consistent for them. I think she had two of their three goals in the final. Um, you know, she at times dominated on draws, um, be, you know, just because of her, her size, she was able to, you know, just play a little bit more physical, get balls, you know, maybe fight for ground balls a little bit more than, than some girls would. And, and her height too, just got her, I think some, some other ones that, you know, did go up in the air and maybe against teams that weren't as good in the air, like BG was that she was able to, to take control of those two. And she also, um, also set the school record for um, points in a season as well. Um, don't have the number off the top of my head, but I will find it. Um, yeah, she, so she finished the year with, um, with 82, um, 82 points. Uh, wow. breaking, rec the record had been 77 that was actually held uh, by three other girls, Allie Davis, uh, Maggie McCarthy, and Kennedy Daziel, um, who actually did it in back-to-back -back years, 14, 15, and 16. Um, you know, so, yeah, eight, I mean, 88 points in a season that they played, what, 20 games? Um, you know, and I know there were a bunch of games where she was scoring, you know, five or six goals a game. So uh, a pretty incredible year for them. You know, when I mentioned Sweeney, too, I mean, I thought she had a pretty um, pretty solid year throughout in goal. Um, you know, it was really the backbone of a, a pretty young defense um, that, that took some time to, to kind of get up to speed. Um, you know, she was, I think, pretty good on day one, was able to help lead them uh, throughout the year. Um, you know, and then one girl that always seemed to, to stand out when I at the games I saw this year was uh, was Justine Doyle, um, you know, as a, a kind of a two-way midi for them. Um, she was on both ends of the field. She didn't have put up as many numbers offensively, but was still a part of the offense and plenty of time um, getting back there on defense as well for them. Um, you know, and then on the other side, you look at um, Bishop Girton and, I mean, they lose some really talented kids. Uh, Lindsey Holt, uh, Madison Keating, um, you know, just to, to name a couple there. Um, they may return kids that are, I mean, you know, with another year under their belt. I mean, they could be even better next year. if you. If well, you I was going to say, there, there are some girls who weren't even on varsity this year that would be starting for most other right, teams. Right. So I, I don't think they're going to, they're not going to fall off too much. Um, no. You know, I think, and you still have, you still have McKenna Riki coming back in net. She's only a junior. Um, Riley Bouvier is only a junior. So they're, they're, they've, they've got, they've, they're not going to have to look too far down the bench to find, uh, to find their next, next, uh, wave of girls that'll, right. that'll keep them in contention. Right. And then, yeah, you, um, you know, you mentioned the defense and I, that, or, uh, Ricky and goal, and they also re will return, um, Delaney Romalo. But outside of that, that, though, that might be where their, their biggest holes are on the, on the defensive side. But, um, I'm sure, yeah, you said there'll be someone ready to step up. Uh, once we get to, to next March. Yeah. Um, yeah. So interesting that, um, you know, that game um, kind of one sided there. The other two girls finals, though, came right down to the final seconds and, um, you know, both very entertaining games. Um, and we weren't really sure that was going to be the case in, in those games heading into them. I, I don't think. 
Um, maybe not, especially not in the division two final. Um, no, I mean, Portsmouth had kind of, kind of cruised through their regular season yeah. there. They were clearly, clearly the, uh, the class of that division. Um, and, and arguably from all the reports, you know, I did, I did not get to watch this game live, but from all the reports I heard, you know, Hollis was, was up and, and controlling this game throughout. And it was really just Portsmouth slowly chipping away. Um, I think there was some, well, you, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there was some unfortunate situations with the refs in terms of cards. Oh, yeah, there were. That, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> do you want to, do you want to um, elaborate on yeah, that? Yeah, it, it was, I mean, the, it, it was um, it was one of those games that you're just in the moment you're watching and it's kind of like I I can't believe this is happening, uh, because I did I I honestly I did expect Portsmouth to come in and and you know at least, you know get in front early and kind of just be able to hold off Hollis for you know for the the remainder of the game, and um, you know Portsmouth did come out they scored the first goal, um you know Hollis came back and tied it right away. And, you know, it was clear what their game plan was, is they were going to get the ball. They were going to hold on to it as long as they could, um, you know, take shots when the opportunities were there. And then on defense, they played kind of like a um, almost like an, uh, a zone, but kind of turned on its side a little bit, if that makes sense. I, I don't know yeah. how else to describe it. Um, so it, it kind of was an odd look for Portsmouth. And I guess it's something that they had used, you know, throughout the playoffs, and and it had gotten them this far, um, and it really seemed to to cause um, cause Portsmouth all kinds of problems. Um, you know, they were they were struggling at times on uh, on free positions. I, I want to say they missed maybe like four or five in a row at one point, um, which I mean that's that's a huge thing there because I mean you're able to capitalize on those, and that that really changes the game. Um, you know, uh, Hollis's defense played, I thought, outstanding in that game. It started with goalie uh, Haley Bardani. She had a, a pretty big game for the Cavs. Um, you know, Alyssa Hill was outstanding on offense for them. Uh, I want to say she had, um, let me just double check here, four goals for them, one of which was um, <laughs> just uh, one right before halftime where I don't know how it got in because I don't think it deflected off of anything, but it, it was like a shot that looked like it was going over the goal, and then all of a sudden it like broke and went in. I don't know. Maybe maybe there was some spider tack on that. You know all this baseball stuff that's been going on. Maybe there was a little <laughs> something a little funky on that ball that that caused it to to move. And then she opened the second half with a goal that was kind of like um, you know, she had her back kind of to the goal and just flipped it like underhand and backwards and scored on it. Um, th and that that gave the Cavs a, a 5-2 lead which it, you know it doesn't sound like much but the way the game had gone it felt huge and uh but then right after that um Portsmouth gets called for a yellow card Hollis ends up going offside so they lose the lose possession then they get called for a yellow card and Portsmouth comes back and scores three three straight goals makes it a 5-5 game um but then if things went the other way, Portsmouth got a yellow card. Hollis scored two goals. It's now seven five, uh, with ten minutes left, and uh, they were able to actually run a good four and a half minutes off the clock um, after that that goal that made it seven five. Um, and it looked like you know it looked like it was going to take uh, almost a I don't want to say a miracle, but but something close uh, for Portsmouth to get the ball back and and get something going. Um, and then it yeah it just it turned into 
Well, I, I should I should go back backtrack a little bit there. While Hollows had that long possession, Portsmouth got another yellow card. So they're not only do they not have possession, they're down a player, and they're down two goals. I, I mean, at that point, it just it, it seemed like too much. And, you know, it's amazing too. I look at the I look at the box score and Portsmouth won twelve of sixteen draw controls. Yeah. I mean, usually when you have that type of time of possession, I mean, it's going to take something like a bad shooting day or you know a really hot goalie in order to turn that around. Because that usually that usually does not when when a team is that dominant in the in the draw control area, you don't usually see a game that close like that. So again, I, I wish I had seen that. Uh, wish I had seen that defense in person. It sounds it sounds I would have liked to seen how it yeah. how it was messing up Portsmouth. Yeah, it, 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 um, yeah, I don't necessarily, I mean, it's hard to say that Portsmouth had a bad day, like it had bad day shooting because they didn't take a ton of shots. Um, you know, I had them out shooting Hollis, uh, 16, 13. That's, that's not a ton of shots for either side. No. Um, you know, they were, they were five of 10 on, on free positions, which, you know, it sounds, might sound good 500, but that's, I mean, think of it a little bit. It's like shooting free throws in a way. Um, 50% not, not great. Um, you know, not a lot of turnovers by either team. Uh, but then what, you know, the final five minutes, um, you know, Hollis gets, turns the ball over on, you know, a, a play. I'm, I'm still not a hundred percent sure on what happened. You know, there was, um, you know, one Portsmouth girl chasing the, the girl with the ball, another Hollis girl kind of got in the way and they, they didn't make contact, but they called I, what I'm guessing was an illegal screen of some kind Hollis turns it over. Um, and then it just snowballs from there. They got a yellow card right after that. Um, they actually came up with a save on the other end, but turned it over on the clear Portsmouth scores, wins the draw. Hollis gets another yellow card. Portsmouth scores, wins the draw and then scores again. Now it's eight, seven Portsmouth with like 90 seconds left. And, and, um, and the Clippers won the draw again. And that was pretty much it. So, you know, two really entertaining games and two games that led to uh, breaking, breaking curses, uh, you know, on the on the on the Bishop Girton side, the boys and girls hadn't hadn't won in the same year ever. And same thing on Portsmouth side, you know, we'll get to the, the boys games in a little bit, but you had Portsmouth uh, boys and girls also winning in the same year there. So. Uh, kind of, kind of an incredible. I don't know if you see that too often in state tournaments. There with with the boys and girls in the same sport winning. Have you run into that a lot, Joe? I, I'm, I'm trying to think of not in in lacrosse. Um, I remember a couple of years ago in basketball, Hollis Brookline won uh, boys and girls basketball in the same year. But yeah, you're right. It does not. I, I mean, if it happens, it happens in like like different sports. You know, like uh, oh, the track right. team won, and and so did the the swim team. Like you know. So it doesn't usually happen though, where it's you know baseball, softball, or you know soccer, boys and girls soccer, yeah. right? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, no, it's pretty cool. That's that's a that's a pretty neat thing to be able to celebrate as a school and a community. Both the both the boys and the girls program winning there. So. I, I want to say did um. No, yeah, I, I'm I'm I don't think that's I don't think that really has happened, um, at least not recently. Not too yeah, not yeah. too not too often. Uh, and then, uh, of course, we had another um, another close game in the the D three final. Um, and you were you were up at that game. You stayed for the the whole the whole thing, the lightning, whole lightning thing. delay and all. Oh, yeah, yep. <laughs> But uh, but it, with that being said, it was an awesome game. Well worth well worth staying there for the for the whole time. Um, you know, got there. You know, Derry Field jumps out. Uh, you know, Derry Field came out hot, and then all of a sudden, Hopkinson just looked. They had a great game plan. 
They knew uh, they they had they had some ideas of of being able to inside roll and get some shots in close on our our goaltender Shauna, who still ended up having uh, an incredible game. I mean, she she it, it's a toss up between her and Lucy, who who would be who would be the MVPs of the game. I mean, Shauna made twenty plus saves. Lucy had uh, she had six goals and seven draw controls. Um, I mean, at one point, you know, when Hopkinson had it going, Lucy basically put the team on her back and, and said, not today. We're, we're, we're taking care of business here. We're, we're doing what we came to accomplish and just sort of took over when she needed to take over, like, like great players do. Um, you know, but it was still, I mean, it was going back and forth. It was 8-6 at the half. Um, you know, when the lightning delay occurred, uh, Derryfield was up by one with, with less than four minutes, well, less than five minutes. There was about 421 left. They come back and what does Hopkinson do? <laughs> they go right away. They tie the goal up. Um, and then, um, you know, the, the next Lucy won the next draw control, worked the clock around and, uh, basically scored with about a minute and a half left. And, uh, and, and, and then we're able to run out the, run out the clock after that. Um, but, you know, I think Shauna, Shauna in net for Derry Field, uh, Lauren McLean had a great game on defense, two draw controls, a ground ball, um, you know, and someone who kind of flew under the radar a little bit all season, uh, Abby Carr. Abby Carr mm-hmm. ended up with four goals in the game. She had uh, she had the game winner. She had a couple she had a couple ground balls. I mean, it was when teams started to really hone in and focus on Lucy the team knew that they were going to need somebody to step up. And, and I watched Abby in a couple of playoff games, you know, be that person that really rose to the occasion and, and stepped up and helped the team there. So um, very impressed, very impressed with her as well. Yeah, that so. was, um, that was something I, um, I was in. Yeah. I, I found very interesting too, because I feel like all year um, or, or at, least, at least in the early part of the year, the talk was, okay, well we need someone to else to step up so that we don't need Lucy to score eight goals a game. For sure. Um, you know, and, and on that play, it sounds like that, you know, that Hopkinton was able to take her away and that, you know, Abby Carr was open for, you know, for the goal. Um, yeah. You know, and, and to be able to step up in that situation, you know, that those were the things that they'd worked on, you know, all year trying to get to this point. So it, it, it's, you know, um, funny how, you know, it's the kind of thing where you, you almost wish you could save and print it, I guess, for future teams and say, look, we know what we're talking about here. <laughs> You yeah. know, as coaches, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Hopkinson did a great job. They basically took Lucy out of the game at yeah. times by, by face guarding her. But but Derry fielded, you know, they had run into that. Coach Mel and the team had kind of run into that throughout the season, and they were kind of prepared for it. They had they had great set plays to try and free up Lucy off of, off of picks and screens and um, just uh, some really, really nice uh, off-ball cutting plays. I mean, Lucy was great. She just needed to get a step on her on her player and was able to catch the ball on the run and put it in the back of the net. And when she wasn't, she was able to set up some free position shots as well. So, but uh, you know, on the on the Hopkinton side, I was really impressed. You know, I didn't realize they they do have some seniors, but they were a fairly young team. Yeah. Yep. And two of the girls that stood out to me, Hannah Hoyt, uh, number seven. She's a, she was a freshman midfielder. And number 13, Katie Brown, she was flying all over the field. She's a, a midfielder defender. She was also a freshman. So, I mean, that, that bodes well. They, they do their, their goaltender, Anna Miller was a, was a senior this year, but you know, if they can kind of, if they can, they, they can get that part figured out. Um, they've got a great core coming back next year. So, you know, I think the future is bright for Hopkinson as well. 
um, coming back next year. Yeah, them them getting to the final again this year, um, you know, I think that that's probably big for their um, their development as a team. Of course, they had a new head coach this year, and, and, and Mike's on. And uh, I believe he'd said at the beginning of the year that they'd only had two kids that were returning from that, that got any varsity experience on the championship team from two years ago. Yeah, so for them to get, you know, have that kind of run, have the kind of season that they did, you know, that's a that's a huge thing. Um, and, and, and huge for Derryfield, too, because, you know, you look at, at, at their their roster, too. I mean, you've got the, what, the six seniors who are all graduating. Not a lot of juniors, um, you know, two on the roster. Um, I'm not sure if both. Very similar played, on the boys' yeah. side. We had, we, had, we had good senior classes, very small junior class, and then uh, a, a freshman and sophomore heavy class as well. Yeah. And so – yeah, you know, I think I think Coach Mel's excited for for her under underclassmen and and you know what the future brings with them there. Um, they're in the same situation, you know. They're going to have to break in a new goaltender next year. Um, but uh, yeah, no, there's plenty plenty of talent for both teams there. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hopefully, uh, well, I want to want to mention here too. I'm gonna can I can I take a moment to pat myself on the back a little bit. Did you call all three? Uh, Did you get all three preseason? Correct? Preseason. I got. I had Bishop Gurdon, Portsmouth, and Derryfield as my preseason uh, preseason champs there. So three, three for three. Yep, three for three on the girls' side. So, I you know we it's uh, I I do more than just throw uh, throw darts at a at, at the board and and, and uh, pick names out of hats. Some sometimes, <laughs> usually that's what that's what works. But uh, sometimes I like to think I know what I'm talking about. Pretty impressive. <laughs> Pretty impressive. Um. So on the uh, on the boys' side, um, of course, all the championship games were this past Saturday, and um, you know you kind of alluded to it. Um, I think we kind of maybe assumed that the the Division One championship game was going to be a little bit more like the girls' game than what we actually ended up getting. Not not to say that that you know Exeter wasn't um, up to the to the challenge. Um, you know they were certainly a talented team, probably the best Exeter team you know, when in the program's history, just that there happened to be a, a juggernaut on the other side of the field there in Bishop Girton. Um, and um, the game actually started, I think, the same way both regular season games did, where Exeter jumped out to an early lead. Uh, it's just that, um, you know, Bishop Girton didn't have a response right away. Uh, you know, it was 4 nothing at the end of that first quarter. And uh, I think you, you texted me and, and asked me how, you know, when when do I start to to think that this is going to be a game, you know, when, when is Exeter actually, you know, um, looking like they might be able to pull this off. I think I said, when, when does it really become a game and can Exeter, can Exeter keep this up? And, and I think you responded that, you know, let's, let's see the second quarter. Right. Yeah. I I thought if, uh, if, cause I, cause that's kind of what happened in the other two games was that Bishop Girton, you know, started at the end of the first quarter and then throughout the second quarter was able to go on a big run and take control at halftime. Um, and that, I mean, it, that kind of happened, but it wasn't a big lead for them. Um, they, they went up five, four at halftime. Um, and it felt like that momentum had definitely shifted, but the game wasn't over by any means. Well, it, it felt like it shift. It felt like it shifted too, especially because I think at one point, what it, uh, I think Bishop Girton hit like four pipes in a row. <laughs> they either, they either, it was, I, you know, someone said that they thought they kept hitting the goalie in the helmet. Uh, Exeter in the beginning Ryan, of the Ryan game, Tomlin, they did. Yeah. They came down their first two possessions. They rang, they rang shots off the kid, off the kid's helmet. But again, good position, good positioning <laughs> by the by the goalie. I mean, I, I yeah, I had to, that first one because 
I you know the game started almost exactly what I kind of had a, a gut feeling that it might. You had J.J. Murphy wins the faceoff for BG, goes right down the field, fires a shot, and the only thing that didn't happen was having it go in. I thought it hit the crossbar, uh, but then when I went back and watched watched the video, I got yeah, it rang off his helmet and and went flying. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know he had an outstanding uh, first quarter. Um, Totman did. Um, Oh, I had it right in front of me. He had, why did I have him? I had him with five saves in the first quarter. Uh, uh, and Ryan, nine, nine right? in the first half. Yeah. 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 Uh, he, uh, no, I mean, he played, he played incredibly well. Um, you know, and I, I think he was, he was really, he was super, super athletic. You know, he was out of the cage, getting ground balls, clearing that he was solid in the clearing game. I mean, basically Exeter did everything they needed to do to go into halftime within striking distance. You know, I mean, to, to go out to a four nothing lead. I mean, I think other after JJ's shot there, uh, I, I want to say that Bishop Girton had the ball maybe two minutes it in was, that first yeah, quarter. It was not a lot. No, and it wasn't like Exeter was stall. You know, we had talked in the podcast before, like how you know can can Exeter get a lead and then stall? Well, they weren't really. They were just running. I I came away from that game really impressed with both teams. The level of ball movement, dodge re-dodge, move the ball, uh, attack the backside, and just the patient movement of the ball, trying to get the defense to rotate and, and get a good shot was was incredible. It wasn't like they were just throwing it around the horn and saying, you know, look, we're going to try and get this, grind this game down. Yeah. I mean, Bishop Girton was coming out and pressuring them, and Exeter handled the pressure really well. I mean, they did everything that they, they needed to do. So um, by my count, I had, um, I had Exeter uh, – out shooting BG nine seven in that first quarter, uh, <laughs> and then in the second quarter I had BG out shooting him seventeen to three. And that that's the way I remember that yeah, too. The second yeah. quarter it kind of felt like, okay, here we go, we're gonna hang on. And I think there were a couple unfortunate, uh, unfortunately timed penalties too. Yeah. That, that basically yeah. when. <laughs> You called it. It was like, okay, well, now it's going to be four to two because Bishop Girton's going to yeah, score here. Yeah. Like, it it was giving Bishop Girton a man up this year was basically almost a free goal for them. Yeah, um, allowing them to get their hands free and get a good shot on on your goalie was was trouble, um, to say the least. You know, the, so. the other thing about that first half, um, three turnovers combined. So I mean that that yeah. first half of that game might have been. I mean, not the whole the game as a whole was was probably one of the best finals I think I've seen, um, but it's one of those ones where it's like, man, I, you know, you wish almost they could go a couple more quarters because I, I I'd watch that, that too. yeah, I'd watch that I, all day. You know, and I've seen I saw those epic matchups between Bishop Girton and Pinkerton, and those games were high drama, and I think there was more up and down the field between the lines. But I just from a pure lacrosse aesthetic standpoint, in terms of watching offense and defense. This was one of the better games that that I've been to in Division yeah, One. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing that I thought was really impressive was, you know, um, I thought it was going to have to be the we we talked about Bishop Girton manufacturing um, the pace of the game, right, and sort of bringing that to them. I thought they did a nice job of putting Exeter in some uncomfortable situations in that second quarter, leading to turnovers, right? Like when they rode, it it made it look like it was a 10 man ride, but really they were condensing the field. They were bringing their defensemen upfield, up, up towards the box. Um, they were running sort of a zone trap ride um, and really, really uh, put pressure on the, on the ball carriers for, for Exeter. 
find open guys. And, and there were a few times in that second quarter that, that led to turnovers that, that gave Bishop Girton extra opportunities that they cashed in on there after Exeter had made some nice stops. You know, they just couldn't get the ball out. Um, you know, I thought uh, going into the, the second half, um, you know, we'd kind of know what, what the second half was going to look like in the first maybe three or four minutes. Yeah. Um, and then when, when Connor Hawley scores to make it five, five, I, I mean, I, I kind of thought to myself, okay, I mean, this is, this is not going right. to, this is how it's going to, how it's going to go. Uh, this is going to be a game, um, you know, throughout the second half. And it was, uh, what it, did, it's weird though. I felt like, even though it was six, six going into the fourth quarter, like, I don't know why it still felt like momentum had shifted to BG. Like I, and it's weird to say that because Exeter fought hard, but it was almost like you could see that they were getting tired. Yeah, I don't know if that, yeah. I don't know if you had the same, I don't know if you had the same reaction, but it, it, to me, it felt like it was going to take something fluky in that fourth quarter for, for Exeter to pull, even though they had played so well. Um, it just, it, that's where I think the depth of BG being able to play multiple lines of midfield started to come into, started to come into play at that point so i i got this in my my notes here too um because i i yeah i kind of do agree with you that it was six six um on a, a goal by uh spencer clark with with 224 left in the third so in that final two plus minutes um bg took seven shots and hit three posts um you know so i mean it, it it's the potential was there for them to be up more, be up a couple goals going into the fourth quarter. So I think right. that's, maybe that's why it felt that way was just that, you know, it, it just, um, you know, they had they had possession and were were just taking um, advantage of, or if they had taken advantages of those opportunities and, you know, maybe it's a different game going into the fourth quarter, uh, and they finally broke free or, or got broke through on one of those. Um, you know, in, in the first 30 seconds of the quarter on yeah. um, what I thought was a nice play by from from Nick McGovern to, to Michael Kiley to give him that 7-6 lead. And then McGovern yeah. had two more uh, in the quarter, which I, you know, I, I thought was great to see him, um, you know, get what ultimately was the, the winning goal there. Um, you stole one. Of, you stole one of my thoughts. Oh, it, it was. Oh. <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> it was. It was fantastic to see Nick have one of his better games of his career in in a championship like that. He's a player that's been working really hard. Going to Bentley next year, um, you know, has overcome a lot of injuries in his career. For him to for him to have that step up in that limelight w- was was really nice. The the other two players that stood out for me for Bishop Gurdon were uh, Chris Heitmiller, who in that first half when things weren't going well just had some absolute stings, you know, high to high, just, just high heat that blew it past, blew it past the goalie. Um, and then, you know, on the, on the flip side of goaltending, I thought Zach Connerty did a great job to yeah. be, to be yeah. in that situation in, uh, you know, your first, your first year starting in net as a sophomore, you're in the championship game, um, you know, started off a little shaky early, but then really was, was rock solid. I mean, anything that Exeter threw low at him, he just he he sucked it up. You weren't scoring low on Zach. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah on on uh, on Saturday there. You know you had to beat him with some off balls or you know some off hip and some off ball stuff. But he uh, he did a great job, and I thought he was really solid in the clearing game as well. You know you you mentioned um, Hype Miller there too, um, and he got on his first goal there. He got absolutely drilled, and uh, I, you know I I didn't see the whole thing because I was following the ball you know to the goal, but I look back and and like. 
he was down, and I thought I for a second I wondered, uh oh, um, is he getting up? And not only did he get up, but the celebration afterwards was uh, was pretty good too. So I mean, he, he lost. Just... Yeah, I think I think he uh, I think he didn't help Coach Cameron's case. Coach Cameron was pretty upset after that. And oh, was I, he? I think the refs. I think the refs looked at uh, looked at Hype Miller after that, and they're like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> so he didn't help. He didn't help his coach out too much no. there. But uh, he did. He got absolutely drilled on that play. And it was, I don't think it was not dirty by any means. No, it just was no. one of those things where it was just, it was a bang, bang play. And he did, he got, he got hit pretty hard and it could have, they could have thrown a flag on it. But uh, you know, like we said, he popped up and, and things were, things were okay going forward after that. You know, so. the, um, the other thing um, that almost, I mean, we, we talk about it so much it almost, you, you forget to mention it, but I, I want to make sure we mention too, um, the dominant day that, that Murphy had in the, in, on faceoffs, um, you know, win an 18 out of 20. Uh, and I think one of those that he lost was a, a procedural, um, uh, you know, on that. Yes. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, that just, I mean, that, he, that changes. He's the game. clearly established himself yeah. as the, as the best faceoff guy in New Hampshire right now. I mean, it's, it's not even, it's not even close. Um, he's, he, I, I cannot believe how far, well, no, I shouldn't say that. I can believe how far he's come because he, he when I was coaching him, when he was in middle school, he was always one of the hardest working guys on the field. And, you know, he put his mind to it that this is what he wants to do. And he's, he's now an incredible, you know, he's just, he, he's a surgeon up there. You know, there, there, he, he's a, he's one step ahead of you every single time when you walk in there, he, it's almost like he knows what the other guy's going to do before, before they get in there. And even if they do, he's, he's faster than them. He, he's quicker. So um, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to see him next year continue to develop yeah i i um i feel like you know a lot of these face-off guy a lot you know they they come in cycles um you know that he's he's here with bishop girton now and you know someone like pinkerton has a freshman in, in cole franks it's cole coming franks, up yep. and and is really good but is probably you know just because he's a younger guy just not you know it, it, it would take a monumental leap for him from freshman to sophomore year to probably you know be on the level where he's competing consistently. Um, yep. And, you know, before that you had Murphy was going against as a freshman going against Mar uh, Gennaro Mara at, at Pinkerton, um, you know, who was kind of a, almost what a self-made face-off guy. Um, you know, so it, it just kind of goes back and forth like that. And um, with other teams too, I think, and it would be fun to see if, you know, at some point it gets kind of lined up. So we've got maybe in one of these championship games, you know, it's a little more, um, I guess even on them because you never know what I mean. Who knows how much different that game is if if you know you've got Exeter wins. So let's say maybe four more of those, and it's it's uh. 12, well, I was 12, gonna say 6. I think it's I think it's a lot different because if Exeter goes up four nothing and they've got a guy that's at least fifty fifty or creating you know uh balls in there you know you, you chances are you don't allow Bishop Girton to go on a, a five nothing run before the half. Yeah, you know. Or it's or it's a lot harder to go on a five nothing run. Let's put it that way. So, but you know, taking nothing away from you know, I I, I still think we can't understate it. It's um, I didn't realize this. I believe it, I think it's Bishop Girton's first ever undefeated season. Yeah, it is. I, I didn't uh, you know, and that's I think that's that can't be understated as well. Even though you know, no, they didn't get a chance to play out of state, but the pressure that comes along with an undefeated season you know, going into that championship game, knowing that you've got one game left. And if you lose this game, 
it doesn't matter what you did the rest of the season. That's all anybody's going to remember, right? And that's for a, a 17, 18-year-old kid or even younger. That's a, that's a heck of a lot of pressure right. to put yeah. on yourself, Absolutely. you know? And so for them to remain as calm as they did uh, when they go down for nothing, they're like, oh, my God, is this happening again? Like, are we really, you know, is this, is this going to, are we cursed? You know, the girls team won, you know, and for, for all those thoughts to be rattling through your head and then be able to still come back and put on a pretty dominant, basically a pretty dominant showing for the next three quarters. That was really impressive. I mean, yeah, because it's a 9-7 final. Uh, but if, yeah, if you think about it, they outscored them, what, 9-3 to the rest of the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it just, it, to me, to me, that, I know for me, that didn't creep into my head at any point. Um, it just felt, it just felt like because it followed such a close blueprint to, I think, the regular season games, maybe that that never really actually became as much of a factor as it could have been. Like, if they had dominated both those games from start to finish, maybe it's a different feel. You know, maybe right. that stuff does start to creep in. Um, but, yeah, they were, I, yeah, first undefeated season. I think, they yeah, 2018, they, they were close and lost in the final. Um, and I think there's been another year or two in there where they've maybe had one loss out of state one or two losses and then ended up winning it was 20 i want to say it was 2011 or 2012 where they might have i think they only lost to duxbury or bc high but um it's yeah they had some great teams in the past and this one was certainly one of them i i don't know where the final rankings end up but i know they were i know they were top 25 in 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 the country at one point this year um so just this way i actually think it was better this way had it been you know maybe Maybe for them in power rankings, it might have been better. But I, I think what better way than to cap off a championship season that you didn't get to play out of state where you're in a tight game and you feel like you really had to earn it. Yeah, You know, absolutely. like the other team, it, it didn't just roll. The other team didn't just roll over for you. You had some adversity. You had to push through it. And, you know, all that work that you put in during the spring paid off, you know. Yeah. So. We should also probably mention, um, you know, the the news coming out of Exeter uh, the last couple of days that uh, – that you know, coach uh, was in the the Portsmouth Herald earlier this week. Uh, that that Jerry Holly's stepping down as the uh, the Exeter coach after I think I, what did I see twenty three seasons. Uh, remarkable, yeah. absolutely remarkable run with that program. Uh, you know, we had kind of you you had mentioned I think in our last podcast we were trying to figure out when Exeter had moved up right into Division One and when right. they had started playing there. And I I felt like it was almost kind of nice symmetry. You know, the way that uh, basically. In, in 2000 and 2001, they they won D2 champ or D2 championships. 2010, they they make it to the finals, and then in 2021, they make it to the finals again. So kind of a nice nice capstone to Coach Holly's career there. Um, you know, and just you look at this graduating class this year: Spencer Clark, Jackson Hale, Hayden Lechner. You know, his son Connor, Jake Mantell. You know, he, he he had a huge impact on all of these kids in terms of the youth program um, and, and building building this program back up and, and making another run to the finals here. So um, big shoot, definitely big shoes to fill there um, with Coach Holly yeah. stepping down. Um, what yeah. did I say? Twenty three years and uh, and three hundred and nineteen wins. I mean, that's wow. <laughs> that's incredible. But, uh, I got some. I got some work to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that'll be certainly one of the, the probably most talked about things, um, you know, in the off season. Um, you know, is is who takes over that job and and what are they able to do? 
um, with a team that's, uh, you know, you mentioned that senior class, um, and certainly they've got plenty of talent, you know, in, in the, you know, junior and senior class, or excuse me, sophomore class this year, but, um, you know, that's going to be a lot of holes to fill uh, for whoever, uh, whoever, I mean, holes to fill on the sideline too, whoever ends up taking that job. It, it, there are holes to fill, but you got a nice you got a nice uh, building block in Aiden Drunzik coming back on attack. Mm-hmm. The the goal is in a good situation there. They've got two goaltenders that are that are uh, solid goaltenders there for them. Um, you know, I like the kid Gabe Albert at, at midfield. I've coached him before. He's a, he's a good he's a really good player. Um, they they've got some guys coming back in their youth. You know, their JV and youth program is strong as well. So. You know, it's a good situation for someone to someone to step into. Are they going to be as competitive as they were this year? Probably not. But like, you know, they, they the program's been the youth program's been strong over the last couple of years. So it wouldn't surprise me if they if they made a bounce back really quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, the second game of the day on Saturday, um, another one that, um, you know, I, I think I think you and I kind of had different um or at least we thought there there were two different ways that this game could go. Um, that it would be, you know, either either Portsmouth's defense would just be suffocating, and 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 Timberling would have a tough time scoring in the the D two final, or you know that that their kind of um, rebirth on offense here, where they've I think they'd scored twenty eight goals in the two games going into the final. Um, you know that they might be able to to break through and and kind of get into you know a back and forth there with Portsmouth, and and I think the game itself ended up landing maybe somewhere in between that um, with, with Portsmouth uh, winning nine to six in that, uh, in that second game on Saturday and getting the, their program's first championship. Well, I got to tell you, I was nervous when it started because Portsmouth went up two nothing. Uh, actually, I think they went up and they three, were three, nothing. three nothing. Yep. Fairly, fairly easily and fairly quickly. And it looked like it could have snowballed because it was yeah. kind of what we talked about in, in the lead up to this, you know, two teams that uh, hadn't necessarily been in a final situation like this. We had talked about how, yes, Portsmouth's been in the finals a lot, but because of COVID, it, most of the players playing in this final had not really been actually playing in those games, right? But, you know, that program had a little bit more of an edge, I think, than, uh, than Timberlane did in terms of just feeling comfortable and being in, the, in a big game situation like that. Um, but I'll tell you one thing that really impressed me that maybe made Timberlane feel a little bit more at home. It didn't feel like, you know, the game was out of reach that crowd. They brought was incredible. Um, I mean, for, they, they were into it. They brought a huge student body. Uh, you had the face paint, you had the body paint, you had a blackout going on. Like it was, it was a pretty cool scene. Um, and they made some noise and they were in it all the way. And I, I do, I think they gave, I think they gave that team energy when they needed it. You know, absolutely. Um, which is, I mean, so, how how weird did that feel after the after the year we just went through? Um, you know, the last last twelve months. I mean, it felt, you know, at times it was like I I'm standing on the you know on the field in front of that, and you know, just just hearing that much noise collectively, and it wasn't, you know, it was all week too. I mean, the the girls' finals had great crowds too, um, and it it just yeah, it was it was intimidating uh and it was funny I'm, i was sitting in my car in between games you know trying to get work on the first game done and it felt like every time i looked up there were there were timberlane kids dressed head to toe in black walking into the game like you know getting out of their cars i'm like is the whole school here like what <laughs> it looked like that it looked like that at one point yeah 
Um, yeah. yeah, which is, I mean, which is, is, is fantastic. Um, you know, and that's again, again, would have been great to, to, you know, for, for Timberlane to win that game, but just getting there and, you know, seeing the program in that final, having the kids turn out the way that they did and the, and the, you know, parents too. Um, I think that's going to be huge going down the road. How many, I mean, I'm sure there were a number of ki- number of kids from from the the Plastow area that saw that and and maybe thought you know maybe I'll give lacrosse a try. Yeah, no, I think it does it does amazing things for a program just to just to get to a finals and and to see the success and and to be able to walk around school with it with you know a lot of pride and be like hey you know all this hard work we're putting in is 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 worth it to get there. Um, you know, I, I think they had, you know, it's, it's a group that, uh, you know, and they'll, they'll be pretty strong next year. You know, looking at they do lose some they do lose some good players. Uh, you know, Cam Noyes from the from midfield graduates. Um, you know, we, we talked all year long about about Billy Savage on the defensive end. He's graduating. He's going to Lemoyne next year. Nathan Bibber was a was a, a great player for them at the midfield this year. But, you know they do have a lot of guys underneath that are coming back next year. So, um, you know, I think, I think Joe Shivel is going to be a guy that steps up on defense for them next yeah. year was already, was already stepping up, um, you know, throughout the playoffs there. Um, Ethan Gary, uh, you know, had a, had a really good year for them. Eric George down on attack. Um, you know, they, they've got some nice pieces coming back next year. Um, yeah. Looking. So, to, to get back to what you were saying about the first quarter of that game, I think the reason for me that it felt like it was about the snowball, um, you know, Portsmouth scores two goals in, in seven seconds midway through the quarter. It's 2 nothing. You know, Timberlane looked like they, they kind of – they were able to hang in there. Um, and then they go man up with a minute 12 left in the quarter. And you th- think, okay, this is their opportunity to get it back in the game, uh, make it a one-goal game, you know, after this. And what happens? They turn the ball over. Portsmouth goes right down the field, kind of bang bang play. They score while a man down, and it's three nothing, um, with less than a minute to go in the quarter. And I that was where I thought it could have snowballed on them, yeah. especially considering that Portsmouth won the faceoff. Um, but then um, Timberlane comes back, gets a, a goal from Ryan Freeman in the final second, um, and it's three one, and they end up coming back and tying it three three. And it uh, felt like that that goal felt big when they yeah. made it three one. It felt like okay, they they punctured through the defense and they they've got some confidence now. Things are things are slowing down. I mean, that's it did feel like okay, this is the first time these guys have been here. They were so quick on offense when they would get the ball yeah. down. You know, they'd make they'd make a good stop on Portsmouth. They'd get a clear, and then it was like immediate to the cage within less than thirty seconds. And you know, it wasn't necessarily that they were bad opportunities i mean there were opportunities there but they just didn't execute and then you you turn it over you're putting such pressure on your defense and i said i said to myself i said if this keeps up this is going to get ugly fast and yeah. to their credit they regrouped they they calmed themselves down and again i think that goal was huge at the end there yeah um but you had alluded to a bigger problem you know we we talked about face-off dominance nick smith uh you know another freshman came out of nowhere this year and was arguably one of the better better face-off guys in division two. Um, you know, I, I think Timberlane had kind of resigned to the fact that they didn't have a face-off guy this year and were kind of going to like try and, you know, they were going to try and ride hard. They were going to try and get turnovers. I, 
I think there was an opportunity there to at least try and make it a little bit harder for, for Nick Smith. You know, do you, do you bring a pole up and try and, uh, you know, create a 50, 50 ball that way? Do you double pole the wings? Do you do some different things? I, again, not second get, you know, coach Plaska had a, had a great year and, and did a great job with these guys. And again, you had a chance going in, in, in late into the second half to win that game. But I felt like the faceoff circle was definitely something that, that gave uh, Portsmouth a lot of confidence. Yeah. That yeah. It's, uh, Smith was uh, 16 of 18 on faceoffs. And I, there was one uh, late in the game um, where Timberlane looked like they might have a chance at coming back. And they, they, um, they actually put Savage in there um, to take a yep. faceoff where you think about him lining up against the freshman. Uh, and I think, I think maybe that might've gotten to him and cause Sa- Savage did win that one. I'll tell you what, it get um, to me, man. I'm a grown man. Yeah. I'm a grown man, and I see that kid lining up next to me. I'm well, not sure I'm getting that ball. It, it worked. It worked. You know, they won the faceoff, and then they actually had a goal waved off um, on a crease, yeah. crease violation. Portsmouth goes back down to the other end and scores. Um, and it, I mean, it, what if it fa- if it faced Smith? He didn't think about it too much because he then won the next faceoff against Savage and won it pretty clean, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Yeah, you rely on your technique at that point. You rely on the fact, okay, the guy next to me is bigger, faster, stronger. However, I'm I'm quicker. I've got better technique. I, I'm going to get myself out of this situation. And it, it it isn't as easy as it used to be just to send a pole up and try and do that. I mean, these faceoff guys that train now, they they they've trained against that. They have exit strategies. They have counter moves. They they know how to they know how to go up against the pole um, when they send them up there. However, I do think that could have been an opportunity to tire out you know, Nick and make it a little yeah, bit harder as that yeah. game game wore on. Um, but I'll tell you a couple other guys that stood out for me in this game for, uh, for Portsmouth uh, kid that I coached when he was younger, Dylan Rawls um, started the game with just an absolute rip from the top of the box. Um, you know, it was good to see him get his hands free and get a goal like that. And then I was really impressed with it with the freshman Zach Amen. I mean, he was a kid early in the season that I said, yeah, he's pretty good. You know, but, you know, I didn't, but there were times where he just, he just decided that he had no fear and he was just going to take yeah. over like for a freshman in a championship game. That was, that was pretty cool to see. Like he, he really just showed off his athleticism and, and, you know, ball, ball security was great. Um, you know, and, and, and scored some big goals for them. He, um, he started, I, I feel like he started to play like that. I saw them when I saw them against Merrimack um, mid-May. Um, you know, the, the, uh, guy you just mentioned, Dylan, Dylan Rolfs, he, I believe was out. I thought he was going to be out for a little, a little bit longer. Um, but he must've just come back. Um, he was out with an ankle injury. Uh, Dom Maldary got hurt in that game too. And, uh, didn't play in the second half. And, and Zach Amen really just, he stepped up in that game and kind of not necessarily took over their offense because they have a lot of different guys that can, can do things for them. Right um, on offense, off on offense, but I mean, he stopped. I think he stopped being a freshman in that game, and uh, and and stepped up, and um, you know, just just made himself more of that um, that offense after that. I w- I would completely agree with that. I mean, he he definitely he. I think that's exactly you kind of stole it from me when Dom went down. I think he felt like okay, somebody else has got to take over this. With that being said, I thought it was really cool that that Dom was able to get back for the for the championship game. Um, it's, it was nice to see him out on the field there. I'm hoping he's okay. I did see him come off in the second half, um, you know, a little banged up. So hopefully he's good there, but for him to get, be able to get out there battling through that injury and to be able to celebrate with his teammates, 
on the field afterwards. That's that's got to be a really really cool feeling. Um, so great to see him. And then uh, you know you know finally to, on on the Portsmouth side, you know offensively, Mike Durkin continued to have a you know not a huge day, but was drawn was drawn double teams and and moving the ball and and you know played played really well in that game too. So. Yeah, and uh, you know certainly you have to send out congrats to to Coach Fisher too on on getting this one. Um, I mean he's been a, he's been at, with that program for what going back to what do we two thousand seven two thousand and eight. Yeah, um, had a couple of close calls and and to finally get through. I think he, you know he he was um, he was maybe downplaying it a little bit afterwards, kind of saying he felt more relieved. But I I he was uh, I think his emotions were getting the better of him because trying to listening to uh to the interview we had with him afterwards i think he uh he was all over the place so i think he was a he was a little more excited than he was trying to let on uh but congrats to him uh for getting i, I think it's i think it's i actually i actually like the way he described it because i remember when when i was first there too it you do you feel that it's like it's such it almost feels like a monkey on your back that you just need to you need to get rid of it at some point you know and and you do you feel like oh man, how many more opportunities am i going to get Right. And and I, I, I understand his sense of relief. I'm sure I'm sure there was a lot of jubilation and joy as well. But, yeah, I mean, there, there is, there's that there's that pressure and that looming thought in the back of your mind. It's like, if I don't get it done now. Shoot. You know, am I going to get another opportunity? You never know. You know, and so, um, yeah, really happy for him. Again, comes on the heels of his hundredth win. Um, and, and what was really neat is I, I saw on social media all week. You know, hashtag for for Vish, hashtag for Coach Vish. You know, the, these guys really they love him and they they really bought into uh, you know let's let's get it done. We've got a window, we've got an opportunity, and uh, let's get this done for Coach. So that was a, that was a really neat thing. You know, and, and and to do it with this team too. You know that that you know they're coming out of you know the the out of 2019 losing a, a guy like Brahms uh, amongst others. Um, you know, we, great graduating I think we, class yeah, last year it, that didn't get to play, and then and then you know losing some kids to prep school too. Um, yes. You know, we talked about that. I think at the end of last spring, you know, what were they going to look like because there were just so many guys that, you know, just didn't have the experience, and and we weren't you know we weren't sure what they were going to look like, and you know here they are. They they come out and they just grind their way through a season, and and you know put together a championship team. I mean, it's it's a it's a great story. It's a really great story because I mean, I, I again, I think it, it, not to underplay, but I, I don't think Coach Fisher definitely didn't expect it. You know, we we ribbed on him a little bit because he's like, oh, we're gonna be lucky if we go 500 this year, <laughs> you know, with our schedule and things like that. And and you know, I, I think he knew a little bit more than what he had, but I don't think he he thought in his wildest dreams that he had a championship roster team. But then again, to be fair, I don't think any of us knew. We we've talked about this all season. None of us kind of really knew what we had compared to everybody else because we didn't get a chance to play each other last year. Right, right. You know, so you just didn't you just didn't know. Um, well, that's this so. was uh, you know you know we'll we'll uh, and I think maybe this is a good point to transition to to D three here. Um, yeah. This was my one loss. I my division division two. I I got division one right on the boys side. I got division three right. Um, I did not get division two. In fact. I was so bad in Division Two. I didn't even have, like, you know, I, I, anyone that looks at the previews, you see, I break them down. You know, the the favorites, the contenders, challengers, dark. I don't even know. I don't think Portsmouth was even. I, I definitely had Timberlane higher on on my uh, my list of contenders there than I did Portsmouth. Um, you know, just because there were, I feel like with them, there were there were a, more question marks than many teams 
that we thought might have a shot at winning this. So, yeah, this the, the division this year was just, I, I mean, much more wide open, I think, than we would have ever thought. And we thought more it was wide, more wide, more wide open, more wide open, and really competitive. Yeah, um, you yeah. Know, there were there were very few games. You know, we, we said before, I, I don't want it to continue. Like I don't like the way the pandemic did this year. Like we we need to get back to where we were before in terms of having a more balanced schedule. But I will say, it, you know, the games the games across the board, nobody really played in a lot of blowout games this year. There weren't there weren't those you know going to two games that, you know, happen a lot in other years. So in that right. respect, um, you know, it, it was a really competitive division. And I feel like everybody kind of walked away from the season feeling really, really good and, and able to build their programs. And then, uh, so the, finally the, uh, the D three final, um, you know, another game that we weren't really sure what, what to really expect, because again, you know, you have Plymouth and, and Trinity who did not play each other during the season. Um, you know, Plymouth played pretty much all teams north of, of Concord. Um, their one common opponent um, was Bishop Brady, who uh, Trinity beat twice by a combined score of 34 to one, and Plymouth beat once, uh, 14 to five. Uh, that game was was in April, and then uh, both of Trinity's games against Brady were in early May. Yeah, not a lot to go off of of for this one, and uh, it it again it turned out to be another you know, uh, outstanding game, um, you know, Trinity with it, it you know, back and for, forth uh, first quarter with Plymouth scoring first and then Trinity coming back and it's 2-2 going after or, or after one. Um, and then Trinity kind of takes over in the second quarter, takes a 7-2 lead into halftime, uh, led 8-2 after three quarters and um, and has to hang on for dear life for a 9-6 win. Um, yeah, it, at the end, you know, they're it, trying to trying to hang on to the trying to hang on to the ball. You know, you get you, you you get so close to a championship, you can taste it, and and now all of a sudden the sticks get a little bit tighter, and you, you make some passes and throw some things away that you wouldn't normally would. Um, and, but but to Plymouth's credit, they battled all the way to the end. You know, another, another great another great year for the Bobcats, and um, you know uh, that's great great for their program too they've been knocking on the door for a long time i think that's i i have to look back but i'm pretty sure that's their first championship yep, first, game appearance. first championship appearance yeah i know and, they've and been they've been in the final four a bunch of times i remember we we had a great battle with them in 2013 um that took us we talked about it on the podcast last week took us to overtime um you know but uh yeah you know so it's so good for good for uh the the bobcat program to get get to the finals for the first time yeah their first appearance and just trinity's second um you know and they're you know 2 and 0 now two in, for in two. championship games in fact it's been uh it's been a you know trinity laconia hopkinton dominated division ever since uh you know you guys and and hollis brookline all moved up to d2 so it's uh it's some other teams to kind of start to break through here but you know the the guy um you know we're talking about Plymouth um the guy that looks like you know that, that seemed to stand out there in that second half was um uh Brendan Marcou had um three goals for for Plymouth coming back in the second half of that game so big game for him um you know and I, I'm I I don't know if this is I'm assuming it's a brother um Jacob Marcou and goal I was gonna say he, he had an excellent yeah. he, he's played excellent all season I've, I've gotten to see his highlights online um he follows us on social media, so I see his posts, and uh, you know, very, very impressive goaltender, very athletic, um, you know, great out of the cage. In fact, we, uh, 
I think, didn't you, did you, did you retweet or not retweet, but basically re, repost one yeah, of the, he had, a, that... he had a full field assist the other, the other, <laughs> yeah, week. They, would, he got knocked like that he made a save and was trying to clear, you know, took the ball out and, and was trying to clear it and got knocked down, lost possession. And, and while he was on the ground, like, I don't know, like five feet out of the crease, uh, made a save and then just whipped the ball downfield and, 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 you know, got an assist. Like just one of the probably yeah, one of the more incredible pretty, plays, it, yeah. Yeah, it was a really incredible play. If you haven't seen it yet, you know, uh, you know, it, you know, go on Instagram or uh, is it up on Twitter too? Did it did it get posted on both places for yours? I I don't know if it's on in, on Twitter, yeah, but it was definitely on Instagram. I I terrible about this. I forget who even um, shared the video, um, but it's from it's from the broadcast of the the Pemi Baker TV who who covers uh, Plymouth up there. Who um, you know they're another another great job of you know if you're if you're trying to find you know some some teams that you don't get to normally see um, they're you know they're a good follow there on YouTube um, but it's uh it it got shared nationally <laughs> which was fun. Yeah. it was fun then to see the comments of uh, people wondering about you know is this is this what lacrosse in New Hampshire looks like and it was kind of more like I mean there were some people that were questioning the the non call on the hit. Uh, on the goalie, which I think was was fair, um, to question that. Uh, so it was, you know, maybe that's that's another thing that needs to get brought up too, is is some of the uh the calls there. Um, yeah. But any anyway, um, yeah. If you if you haven't seen it yet, try to try to find that. It's uh it's a a heck of a play. Uh, anything else? You know, I think the, the usual suspects for Trinity showed up, Tate Flint, Brady Watts, um, no. you know, any, anything else come out of that game? Evan, Evan Flanagan too. I mean, he's kind of there, he's turned into it, you know, the last half of the, the year, he kind of turned into their, their third, uh, kind of big scorer there. And I think we might've even been their leading scorer in the playoffs. Um, you know, I know they, they each had two goals in the first half of the championship game, um, you know, so that 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 trio really came on this year, and I think kind of got them, you know, to the team that we expect. We were, you know, some of us thought that they were going to be uh, at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, well, I, I think we both, I think we both picked them as our preseason, I, yeah, preseason I think so. favorite. I think so, which didn't make everyone happy. Uh, it made some people happy, but not everyone. Coach Martinez didn't like that pressure, but in the end, but in the end, he's, he's well, holding he, the trophy. So, so can I? So can can I can I continue to my my back padding here? There you um, go. Not only so, not only picking Trinity to to win, um, also picked the offensive and defensive players of the year in D three too. With with Tate Flint getting the offensive honors, I think he had something like sixty five goals for for Trinity this year. Um, just something ridiculous, and then uh, Stephen Newton Delgado getting the uh, the defensive player of the year uh, from Hopkinton there. Um, so yeah, I, not only did I go five of six on champions, I went four out of six on uh, on boys offensive and defensive players of the year. Love it. Uh, but yeah, that they're a team too, um, Trinity. I know they lose some guys to to graduation, and and um, you know they'll probably have a, a guy or two you know, head off to prep school, you know, but looking at their, not the, their roster, I mean, they, they are going to be, it's a younger team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This, this could be a team that we're talking about going, you know, maybe two or three time defending champs by the time this, they're all done. 
they yeah i mean they've got a they've got a young roster and uh you know a lot of guys a lot of guys now with championship game experience so right. speaks well for the future we'll, there we'll apologize to coach martinez now just to, for putting that uh that bullseye on him <laughs> um i don't know i think so that's yeah those are those were the 2021 championship games um just a, a you know a great way to cap off what was uh was certainly a, a an exciting season um but i mean just a great season overall um you know i was i was i think i told a couple people last week that i i felt like i could go you know, for even another week, you know, usually by this time of year, I'm, I'm drained and I'm, you know, I'm ready to, to get into summer and take a break. But, um, this was just a fun year and, uh, a fun way to finish it with these playoffs, you know, despite some of the the problems, the flaws with, with the way it was put together and all that, it was still a, a tremendous two weeks here, um, of playoffs and, and just a lot of fun. And I, I'm already looking forward to next year. I mean, it's going to be fun in a couple of weeks doing uh, doing our look ahead to, to 2022. I, I agree. Um, you know, just I, I, you know, I said it from the beginning of the season. It was just really nice to be out every day on the field with the kids after what we went through last year and what you know you just don't realize until it gets taken away from you. Um, you know what what you're what you're missing, and and then you get it back, and it just it felt great. Yeah. So. Well, any uh, any final thoughts before we uh, wrap up for the week? Uh, nothing. No, I was uh, the, the you know the the road to next year doesn't doesn't stop. I was out working with goaltenders this morning, and uh, <laughs> you know it's just like you said, back on the hamster wheel. It's it's fun. Though. It's great. It's great to be back out, and um, you know, hopefully things continue to go the right direction. And uh, looking forward to next week. Uh, you know, or. Are we doing it next week? Are we gonna we'll do, are we gonna do a look ahead next we'll week? We'll do. Uh, I think I think we'll do a, like a kind of a broader uh, overall wrap season wrap up. We'll uh, we'll talk about some of the kids going on to play in college next week. Um, get, do kind of our, our rundown. We did that last year, and and I feel like uh, I feel like that was good a good thing to do. Want to get that out there again, and then uh, yeah, then the following week we'll kind of we'll wrap everything up. Uh, you know, taking you all the way through through June, giving you some lacrosse talk. Uh, hope. Hopefully we can uh, we can keep it going. Uh, you're making me you're making me earn my Fourth of July vacation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, right. Um, and and uh, of course, um, you know, for in terms of the for the website, I've got we've got some stuff still coming up uh, later this week. Some follow up stories on all the championship games, um, and I will be putting together my own uh, my own all state teams for the uh, for boys and girls. Um, those will be coming out. Um, probably the last last week of June there, so so another week or, or excuse me, another maybe ten days until those are, are ready to go. Um, still need to to hear back from a couple coaches just on their their thoughts, and um, um, so if you're if you're looking out for that, it's still going to be a little while. Um, yeah, and and then uh, I think yeah, for both of us, a much a, a well earned uh, time off there once we we hit head into July. All right, but until then, we'll look forward to next week. Yeah, uh, before, yeah, we'd also uh, want to make sure we uh, we thank our, our sponsor. If you haven't uh, checked him out, check out Roger Howe of uh, Bean Group. You can reach him uh, 800-450-7784 or 603-247-1583 or by email roger at rhowrealestate.com. Uh, thanks again to Roger and uh, Chris. Thanks again for joining me. Uh, excited to talk uh, talk some more lacrosse next week. Looking forward to it. All right. All right. Thanks, Joe.
Right, he is uh, Dairyfield AD and boys lacrosse coach Chris Etler. I'm Joe Marcellina. Thanks for listening.